0: When I grew up, I want to be a contractor because I like building stuff.
1: I, when I grow up, I want to be a stunt double. When I grow up, I want to be an astronaut and travel to Mars.
0: Ray, what's the last in-person event you attended before the pandemic?
1: For me, it was a family barbecue. I miss those. What about yourself?
0: January 2020, Medieval Times. Weddings, conferences, festivals parties. We're all missing them right now. And the loss of these gatherings has been devastating for professionals in the event sector, from event planners to caterers to performers and more.
1: It's also been a year of innovation with event planners and event performers coming up with new ways to continue moving forward remotely.
0: In this episode, we find out what new technologies event professionals are using to get through the pandemic and what you can expect when you attend your first post-COVID event.
1: Welcome to WorkShift.
2: I think I was pretty well aware of, but didn't realize it until, until everything went down, and now we've lived through this, is the amount of resiliency in this industry. I knew we were resilient because it comes with the territory in this industry, but when you see it in action to this to, 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 the, to this extent, um, it's it's pretty amazing.
1: Digital disruption.
0: The gig economy.
1: Artificial intelligence.
0: Robots!
1: There's a lot of talk about these things in the media and online, but what do they mean for you?
0: I'm Sean McEwen.
1: And I'm Ray Harapal.
0: We're exploring the future of work and changes you can expect to see at your job.
1: We'll tell you how this massive digital shift could change your career and what you can do to adapt, evolve, and thrive.
0: 2020 was marked by a hospitality sector shutdown. But what's in store for the events sector when things start to open up? Paul Arugio, a professor and program coordinator at George Brown College's School of Hospitality and Tourism Management, gives us an overview and tells us how he's preparing the next generation of events industry leaders.
1: And we're talking to one of Canada's best-known DJs, starting from scratch. He's toured with Usher, Kanye West, and Russell Peters, and you can hear him on weeknights on Virgin Radio. Before COVID, playing clubs, concerts, and festivals was his bread and butter. He tells us about his big shift online and the new tools he's using to keep his career moving forward.
0: Did you have plans to attend a business conference in 2020? A 2018 study by Oxford Economics found the business events sector alone generated $33 billion a year in Canada and employed almost 230,000 people. In 2020, of course, that all changed. George Brown's Paula Ruggio gives us an overview of 2020 in the events and hospitality sector.
2: It can be a little disheartening um, to hear to hear people um, sort of disparage this industry, uh, not disparage the industry, but disparage the the fact that people in the restaurant, hotel, uh, events, hospitality, tourism industries to to. To sort of disparage those sectors as you know, well, it's not that important anyway. And you know, uh, if the restaurant has to close for everybody's well-being, then that that that's how it has to be. And and it's like, well, it's easy to say when you're cashing checks every other week and you have a stable job and you are in a good financial situation. Uh, but when you when you when you don't account for a lot of people that are um, reliant on this industry for for their living, you know, it's 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 tough. The people in the industry were very careful with uh, the the whatever short window of opening they had last summer, and there was from what we had gathered, there weren't many cases that came out of restaurants, and yet they were they were shut down, and so a lot of people in restaurants who were already in a tough situation invested in social distancing. I don't know, equipment and PPE and outdoor patios and heaters uh, only only to be shut down again. The ends of February, there was already, I vividly remember, we were in the midst of, uh, with our program, we were in the midst of uh, um, producing our capstone events, which are all off-site events, fundraisers, with, you know, real venues and real food and and real entertainment and real revenue and uh, real costs. And so at the end of February, it was already percolating uh, because we had some of our suppliers already approaching us saying, we don't know what the future's holding, so we have to start making some arrangements now. So late February, it was already beginning for us um, the, the talk and the cancellations or the p- potential postponements or what are we going to do if and can it plan Bs and plan Cs. Um, but essentially, the event industry has been shut down, um, and it had been shut down and not really reopened in the summer. I think they allowed during the summer up to 50 people. And again, that's in this market. and uh, most Western markets, we we know that um, in the Southern U.S., there has been some action. You know, in Texas and and in, in, in Florida, um, have been uh, hosting events since late summer, and have continued. And um, I know that a lot of people would, would you know, probably point the finger and, and want to cast blame and, and so on. But, um, you know, these are professionals who are producing these events, who understand liability and understand health and safety. And um, how they're producing events is, is um, much different than before COVID and are taking every precaution um, in order to keep people safe at, at these events. Again, we're not talking about big events. These are mostly social events. That are happening, uh, very little, if any, corporate, because as we know, you know, corporations are are risk averse or liability averse, I should say. Uh, so there, we probably won't see a corporate event till probably 2022. I've got a very good friend of mine, old friend of mine, who has worked at Hilton Hotels for many years in, in the sales and marketing role. He said to me, he's like, I've never lived through a time where half of my hotels we've locked the front doors and we've locked them for eight months you know
1: the doors are locked while event planners are eager and ready for reopening paul says the virtual element of events is likely here to stay in one form or another you know six months ago i was saying uh, the virtual component's going to be here for the short
2: and midterm now that we're a year into this um my attitude is it's here for forever I think that there's going to be a portion of this audience, this client, this event attendee that won't want to gather in, in person ever again. How many of them? I, I, I don't know. I would venture a guess that you know, maybe 20 to 30 percent of, of people around the world, and that might vary you know, region to region, that won't be comfortable in, in crowded places ever again. And so we're going to have to adapt to that. The industry is going to have to find ways to provide some sort of experience to, to that, to that uh, group of people. And we've already got the infrastructure in place. We've already got the technology in place. We are learning as we go. We're still learning as we go best practices and uh, what people want from an online or virtual experience. So I think going forward, every face-to-face, every in-person event, will have some sort of um, uh, virtual online component to it.
0: And with new ways of doing things come added costs. Purpose-built online platforms that provide functionality for video conferencing, high-quality streaming, networking, and other interactive activities don't come cheap. Paul and his special events management students priced out options so they could run their capstone project events online.
2: We're talking about purpose-built platforms uh, for, for meetings, for conferences, for trade shows that offer branding opportunities for sponsorship, that offer gamification, that offer networking rooms that are amazing. Uh, unlike Zoom or WebEx or 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 Teams, uh, and they're not cheap, right? They're they're very expensive. Uh, we started our search last year uh, because we started producing virtual events within the, within our program last fall, and we started researching platforms. An inexpensive platform is about three thousand dollars, but this is for like a two-hour event. They range anywhere, Uh, we saw quotes, anywhere from say $7,500 to $15,000 for one time. Essentially, you're looking at many more additional costs when you add the online version to your live event. You know, the live events always had um, a huge amount of spend from a technological audio visual, you know, sound lighting production component, but now we're gonna have to add that streaming broadcast component and it's not just equipment. It's it's professionals, right? It's 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 people who, who are trained in those areas to to be able to provide a, you know a seamless cleaning broadcast. If you if if you can charge $150 for an in-person experience, which will include so much more value and benefits, right? Like from from the food and beverage to the opportunity to network face-to-face to to the ability to talk to a guest speaker after their session, all those that you may not get sitting at home. Then we can charge somebody who wants to consume this at home possibly $40, $50. You know, $50 for that same experience. And what they're getting is content and exposure, education. Uh, As an event planner, you may not need all of the space – the physical space. You may not need all of that sort of tangible consumables, uh, which would lower your costs. Uh, should overall costs on a per person cost, it probably will increase be- because it seems like everything's become much more expensive and there's a lot of variables there. But, um, and then and then that home opportunity where you could have a hundred onsite and you could have 500 at home.
0: Performers are a huge part of the events industry. And they've taken a big hit during the pandemic as well.
1: DJ Starting From Scratch is one of Canada's best known DJs. He lived up to his name when he tried to shift his sets online. In the early days of the pandemic, copyright issues forced him to shift from Instagram to a new streaming platform.
3: So for what happened was I did it the first time I did it. I was doing it on IG. And like you said, you know, they were, they were shutting me down every five minutes. It's like they were doing to everybody else. And just like I've kind of always done, I kind of cold turkeyed it and went straight into Twitch um, and just abandoned Instagram totally. Yeah, I just had to make that choice of do I want to just sit on my hands and be idle or do it like once in a blue moon? And then I was like, nah, you know what I mean? Like I have to, I work way too hard to get to where I am now to let something like this kind of take me out of the game. This is just another challenge for me. It's just like. When the influx of cds came in and i was a vinyl guy or now the digital the computers came in when we were vinyl and then cds you know you gravitate to cds now they switch you to to digital you get to digital and something else what happens now streaming now i have to be you know in front of the camera and playing the music and talking so now i'm like doing kind of everything which it, which as a dj is a great thing it's a great it's been a great learning tool i mean i've had to practice in front of everybody for a year but it's been amazing
0: If you've heard of Twitch but don't really know what it is, here's a quick breakdown. It's a popular live streaming platform dominated by gamers. Basically, anyone can use Twitch to live stream their activities. Users can find streamers they like and follow them and leave comments in their chats.
1: And there's a monetization aspect of Twitch. Users can buy Twitch subscriptions to view ad free content and use channel emotes. Emotes are Twitch specific emojis you can use in the chat.
0: Users can donate directly to streamers. Users can also give subscriptions or subs to other users, and they can also send bits to streamers, kind of like tipping. Bits are Twitch currency.
3: There is a, a, a huge growth curve. I mean, I, I literally started with zero people uh, in March, and now I'm almost at 14,000 people in a year of followers and subscribers. We're almost at 2,000 subscribers. So I mean, the money predominantly will always come from anybody who directly tips you because that's that's just putting money in your hand. Um, But the bulk of our money comes from subscriptions and they on Twitch, they have the bits and this and and that stuff, too. Um, I mean, it's just like anything, though, because of the bits and the subs goes through Twitch, they take their share. So you're only getting, you know, a, a bit of it. But the more the higher of a status you reach on Twitch, you have more opportunities to monetize. So there's ad revenue sharing and stuff, which we haven't even explored yet. So I know for me right now, we've just been I mean, it's been great. I mean, reality is I'll make in one month what I probably would make in one live gig (laughs) in real life. But it's still money. You know what I mean? And 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 it's a tough thing because you don't want to seem telethony, you know what I mean? Because it was never the purpose for doing it. You know, it's a tough line to to deal with because I know the viewers themselves are in the same situation I'm in, you know what I mean? And I know everybody's not making money. Some people are, some people aren't. Some people have lost a ton of money. Some people have made a ton of money in this time. Every bit someone puts up is is, is a penny to the recipient, in essence, right? So if somebody puts up 100, you're giving me a dollar. You know what I mean? So appearances aren't what they seem because if somebody puts up a thousand, everybody's like, oh my God, it's a thousand bits. But you're like, yes, but it's $10, right? So it's like appearances aren't what they seem, but yes, it still is $10. You know what I mean? So it's still great, but there's there's a lot of things to learn with Twitch. But there are, I think it's really cool that there, there are a lot of ways to make money because most platforms don't offer that.
1: Pauli Ruggio and his George Brown students are also fans of Twitch. He has special event management students that use the platform to produce online events in 2020 as part of their program.
2: We, ha- we can't afford these purpose-built uh, platforms, so we are using Zoom and WebEx. Twitch, we used Twitch last year, a, a gaming streaming, but key-, key there is that it is a purpose-built streaming platform. Yeah, it's for gamers, but probably the cleanest production we had last year was on Twitch. So, I doubted that group. I was like, yeah, sure, you want to use Twitch because I don't know much about it. And of the, what did we have, 22 virtual events? It was the cleanest.
0: So, when the clouds clear and we start to shift back to gathering in person, what's that going to look like? Paula Ruggio says event planners and event goers can expect to pay more.
2: It will be more expensive to attend and meet and gather in the future just because we're, we're going to decrease capacities by half at best case scenario and probably three quarters, most case scenario. Here's DJ
1: starting from scratch.
3: What I do think is going to happen in the future is kind of what we're doing now combined with public venues. So I do think live streaming either from the venue to the houses and vice versa from your house to different venues and so forth and doing, doing one party in multiple places. I know it's been done before festivals and stuff like that, But I do think that that will become more commonplace. I do think, especially with uh, musicians and so forth, they are definitely going to be keeping that going because they can reach a worldwide audience with one show. I know I've been asked this so many times. Am I going to stop streaming when things open? I was like, hell no. Why would I do that? You know what I mean? I'm I'm basically giving you a public mixtape. I'm putting out a public calling card every single time I go live. So why wouldn't I keep streaming? To educate other people in different places so that when i go there they're more educated with me you know the older crowd they're not going to want to go out anymore they everybody's used to partying at home on a saturday night now the younger crowd of course they'll go out you know what i mean why not they should go out but the older crowds like i know for me if i wasn't djing and i'm at home i'm i'm, I'm 48 now I'm, i'd be like i'm not going to a club i'll go to a club once in a while but in general it's like why wouldn't i i would rather have friends at my house and we just watch something on the screen and party at home. So, and I think that is really going to be, you know, the way of the future.
0: It's time to take a look at the future want ads.
1: Yes, kids, listen up, because these could be the jobs you'll be applying for when you grow up.
0: In this segment, we ask our guests to outline a job they think should exist in the future. Okay, Paula Rougeau, what have you got for us?
1: Events strategist and or event communications and strategy okay we'll call this person an event communications and strategy specialist what will this person do the the role
2: of of event planner event manager event coordinator has always been sort of this you know like wide skill set right you you have to be a jack or jane of all trades that's, and that's always been the case. This future position, I think, is going to be that plus this whole element of, of tech, of production, now even marketing and promoting these events, the, the reliance we used to have on, say, posters or any sort of face-to-face promotions that are, are, are probably the, the, the most effective, right? You know, aren't gonna be available to us. So now we, we 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 strictly are using these social channels or, you know, direct email or newsletters or whatever whatever sponsored ads we, we, we can get our hands on from, from a social
1: media perspective. That's
0: a wrap on this episode of Workshift. What did you think?
1: Want to share your thoughts on this episode? Email us at workshift at georgebrown.ca.
0: This podcast is brought to you by the fine folks at George Brown College. We want to thank Paul Rougeau and DJ Starting From Scratch for sharing their thoughts with us.
1: It's the end of your workshift. Thanks for listening.
3: What's up, everybody? This is DJ Starting From Scratch, and you, yes, you, only you, are listening to the WorkShift Podcast.